0: Welcome to An Acro Capitalist Cast, sponsored by Magi Productions. My name is Brian Ogstead, speaker, writer, and entrepreneur. What is tomorrow? Tomorrow is Tax Freedom Day. The day that we collectively, as Americans, have paid all of our income tax for the year in terms of days. Let me say that another way. The Tax Freedom Foundation, which is a non which is a nonpartisan organization, bipartisan organization, not Republican, not Democrat, uh, studies tax policy. They measure the total dollars paid in income tax, and they divide that by the total dollars of income earned. And they get a percentage, and they take that percentage and they convert it to a day of the year, which ends up being actually today, March 23rd. We work through today to pay our income taxes and then the rest of the year is ours. So we work basically 33% of the year to pay income taxes. One-third of our year goes to pay tribute to the state. In 1776, Americans revolted against the state over 3%. Today, we pay 33%. So if a portion of our labor, whether it's one whether it's 3, 33, or 100%, belongs to another man, what does that make us? That makes us a slave, right? So congratulations. Tomorrow, you're free. At least until January 1. Let's look at income. I want to examine that in terms of income and compare that and see how that relates. Freedom relates to well-being. <clears throat> Economists have studied per capita income going back all recorded history. Brad DeLong has done one such study, all the way back to 10,000 B.C. And economists studied other periods of time. But I'm going to use DeLong's study to kind of make my point, as well as Angus Madison's study, who looked at the economy for the last 2,016 years. Let me show you this graph. And this graph only goes up to the year 1800. But it depicts both DeLong's and Madison's work. And from it, you can see what it looks like is a flat line of income throughout history. Man's economic well-being has been flat, has not grown, has not done anything. That's just up through year 1800. However, if I was to zoom in on this, you could see periods of progression and periods of retrogression throughout history. And during these periods, even with these periods of progression and retrogression, the growth is then minimal, because you can see, you can't hardly tell from this graph, that there's been any growth, or retrogression as well. But DeLong's study purports that income has grown from 10,000 BC at the equivalent of $90 a year to 1800 to to $180 a year. So there has been some growth. And also to highlight the disparities of income levels, we can look at 1800 AD, the point at which my graph ends, and go all the way back to ancient times to about 800 B.C., and we can see um, in in 1800 A.D., we can look at South Asia or East Asia or South Europe, who lived at a relatively low time, low income level, and we can compare that to a high income level of ancient Babylonia, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, ancient Egypt. So time and place does matter throughout history. But the point is, the larger point that I'm trying to make, is that income has been stagnant for 1,800 years, although there's been some progression and some retrogression. And then around 1,800 AD, it started in North Europe, and predominantly in Great Britain, and then moving over to the United States, we see growth. And look at this image. Now, from this image, what it looks like is a perpendicular line or a straight vertical line showing growth going straight up about 1800. Now, if I was to spread this graph out and just show you the last 200 years, it's more of a gradual slope. But here it looks, you know, this is a nice one to look at because it just looks like BAM! Something great happened in 1800, which it did, by the way. So it makes my point very well. Here's another graph which shows you uh, more of the gradual slope. It's more zoomed in, just showing you the last um, 416 years. So what happened? Well, before I expound on this and relate more of what happened and why this came about, let's briefly look at the politico-economic system that preceded 1800, the couple of centuries before then. An economist from the 19th century called this preceding two, three hundred years before that as the period of mercantilism. And economic historians have called mercantilism, Eli Hexner called it a system of systematic state building. Adam Smith, who wrote Wealth of Nations and the Theory of Moral Sentiments, called it a system of systematic state privilege, particularly in restricting imports or subsidizing exports or a faulty set of economic theories, including protectionism and the alleged necessity for piling up bullion in a country. I want to highlight what he said there, a faulty set of economic theories. Okay, And the last one, I want to read a quote from Murray Rothbard, one of my favorite economists, who wrote a great two-part set of economic history, who referred to mercantilism as a comprehensive system state building state privilege, and what might be called state monopoly capitalism. Now the economics, the faulty economic aspects of this state building or this big government or this mercantilism is, what we can see, is large government expenditures, high taxes, inflation, deficit financing, war, imperialism, and glorifying of the nation state. In short, It's a political economic system very much like that of the present day. A political economic system very much like that of the present day. Today, we don't call it mercantilism, we call it cronyism. Or, like Rothbard, state monopoly capitalism. In mercantilism, cronyism, or state monopoly capitalism, the state purchases and maintains interest among powerful groups in business. It also provides an arena for these special interests to lobby to get their benefits or their protections. That is the backdrop, of what the political economic system was like prior to 1800. And it wasn't much different if we were to go back in time before that. But still, white 1800 AD, Why did it begin in North Europe and specifically Great Britain and North America? Because here that we find great inventions, mostly free trade domestically and internationally. We see wealth creation increasing in much of what we recognize as the modern world. A few of these, let me highlight a few of these inventions that we didn't have 216 years ago. So starting 216 years ago, we didn't even have any of these things. Gas lighting, electrical lighting, The steam-powered ship, the tin can, photography, the railroad, Portland cement, the reaper, anesthesia, the typewriter, the sewing machine, the colt revolver, the telegraph, the wrench, safety pin, mass-produced newspapers, pasteurization, vulcanized rubber, barbed wire, petroleum-based industry, dynamite, the telephone, Carnegie Steel Mills, the skyscraper, the internal combustion engine, the automobile, commercial electricity, and macadamized road, and much, much more. So what happened after 11,800 years of basically stagnation, very minimal growth? Most of us from our history classes recognize this time as what? The Industrial Revolution. We are taught in history class, certain events happen on certain dates and then also to classify periods of history, such as the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution, however, is really a reaction to ideas, a reaction to ideas, ideas that took hold about that time. To properly understand this remarkable period of time, we must understand what these ideas were. Again, why North America and why 1800 AD? specifically in Great Britain and the United States. These ideas are found that took hold are the ideas of classical liberalism. Classical liberalism has the foundational principle of personal liberty, that each man should be free to do as he sees fit, with the only exception that he not harm another or another's property. I first discovered this in John Stuart Mill's On Liberty, and he called it the harm principle, I've heard many others talk about it today, and typically I hear them call it the non-aggression axiom or the non-aggression principle, but it's the same thing. And that's the foundation that started in 1800. From this idea, many other great ideas poured forth. The ideas of individualism, private property, free market economy, free trade, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, a rule of law... Toleration for each other, peace with one another, the idea of spontaneous order, and the idea of limited government. These sound good to me. Ultimately, it was man's 11,800-year journey to get to this point, from which the mass of men, in most times, in most places, were living in bondage, to now, the mass of men in Western civilization, living free classical liberalism emerged as a reaction against mercantilism let me say that again classical liberalism emerged as a reaction against mercantilism man to borrow a phrase from Milton Friedman free to choose free to think free to reason free to use logic free to experiment create innovate Free to buy and sell, freedom to take risk, freedom to profit, freedom to lose, free to live their lives as they saw fit. As it turns out, as long as people, and people meaning predominantly the government, keep their hands off other people's property and leave them alone, they will live their lives, to live their lives They will be as most productive as they can possibly be. There were also no state bailouts. If a person didn't put forth an effort, they suffered the consequence of their own inaction. Today, if a person decides not to put forth an effort, the government will provide for them. I'm not talking about private charity of which Americans, in spite of massive state theft, are the most charitable on the planet, what I'm talking about is the state providing handouts. The state's providing handouts is a disincentive for work, is a disincentive for productivity, is a disincentive for growth, is a disincentive for wealth, and ultimately, then, it's a disincentive for human flourishing. As it turns out, Thou shalt not steal is not only a good moral axiom, it's a good economic axiom. Today, the battle, though, is not over economics. The battle is over ideas. The battle is over ideas. Morally and ethically, liberty is the only choice. The state is coercion, force, and violence, which is the antithesis of morality and ethics. Economically, for income and growth and wealth, liberty is the only choice. The state, be it excessive spending, wasteful spending, excessive taxation, fiat money creation, and the resultant hidden tax of inflation, is the antithesis of growth, of income creation and wealth. The state Taking 33% of our income is the impediment to the increases in income, wealth, and, and ultimately human flourishing. That may sound pessimistic, but I'm very optimistic today because of what I just said. I'm optimistic because the per capita income for man globally is projected to rise from what it is today, about 11,000, to 22,000 in the year 2050 what once took man roughly 11,800 years to double now we will do in 34 years and we'll do this in america in spite in spite of 33% of our income being taken from us by the state limiting the possibility of all those inventions that i've mentioned what is being left undone i'm optimistic Because when I listen to my friends on social media, many of them give me the message, taxation is theft. I see freedom on the rise. We can see on television and the internet and the news reading the newspapers of anti-government protests taking place in Kiev and Hong Kong and South America and all around the world revealing a manifestation of discontentment and displeasure with the government, with the state. I'm optimistic because of technology, the ability to communicate and share and spread ideas and knowledge without the gatekeepers of the state and others keeping them from us. I'm optimistic because of blockchain technology, the technology that's allowing us to go back to -to peer-to-peer transaction and bypass 3rd party intermediaries. Who is the largest third party intermediary? It is the state and the fed. The need for the state, if ever there was one, is dying. And technology is the dagger which will lop off the head of Leviathan. Let me close with this. Liberty today is not happenstance. Liberty today is not happenstance. Just as classical liberalism was a reaction against mercantilism, liberty today is a reaction against cronyism and statism. One more time. Liberty today is a reaction against cronyism and statism, which parallels classical liberalism's rise against mercantilism. So today, freedom is on the rise. Until next time, this is Brian Ogstead, professor of economics, speaker and writer and entrepreneur for Inacro Capitalist Cast. Thank you. Good day.